listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. with four kids and I serve worship team and youth worship and I'm a hat rack I wear lots of hats so um today I will be reading Luke 21 37 through 22 13 and every day he was teaching in the temple but at the night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the number, wait, who was of the number 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lots of plans being made on that day. Lots of plans being made today. In fact, you might be having to adjust your plans even as you're here today because of circumstances that have arisen today. and You're always thinking about what's next, always preparing. Some plans are very, very important. The kind that will have an effect on yourself and, and the lives of your family and, and maybe even your investments into the future. Other plans are easily broken and moved and forgotten about. But there's a lot of planning going on here. And as we come to the conclusion of our study in the book of Luke, we'll just be taking chunks of these last few days. We'll be allowing God's Word to speak and we'll be making observations because if you've been around church at all for any length of time, you know how the story goes. And so we're just going to let Luke tell it. We're going to read it. We're going to let it soak We're just going to ask questions, try to explain some things and understand it better, and give a few points that we can consider as we think about what Jesus did for you and for me in our place and for our sin. On the way to the upper room, we see 
the plans of Jesus' enemy taking shape, we see his own plans and commitment to obedience. We're going to see plans to murder, plans to betray, plans to minister. The first plans are going to be held and, and conferred sometime between Sunday and Wednesday of the Passion Week. Of course, these plans have been taking shape for a number of months. A number of months ago, the, the leading authorities in the Jewish religion had made up their mind that these things that Christ was doing, these, these, these miracles and these words that were being spoken that have stirred up so many of our people, we've determined as, as the leading authorities in Judaism that this man is not, in fact, Messiah, and that the power that he has to do these things actually comes from Satan. And so they've made up their mind. Jesus is not going to be our Messiah. Of course, there were some in their ranks that came to Jesus at nighttime to ask him questions that were convinced that maybe he was telling the truth. So some onesie-twosies of their ranks were believing. But, but as a whole... Israel, under the leadership of the priests and the, and the, the Sanhedrin, had... But the common crowds were growing. And Jesus has entered into Jerusalem at Passover feast time, where there would have been approximately 2.7 million people in Jerusalem at that time, camped out all over the hillside surrounding the city walls. And they had seen him enter Jerusalem on the back of a, of a, of a colt, of a donkey that had never been ridden before, and they had heard the chants of the people shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So things were rapidly progressing as far as Jesus is concerned in the minds of the crowd. And so Luke tells us that as his popularity is increasing, as his, as his importance is becoming center stage at this time of Passover, they made up their mind, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to make plans to put this man to death. And we know that there was nothing for which they could charge him, so these plans were for murder. We're going to plan to put him away. The first few verses that were read, the last couple in chapter number 21, Luke gives us a glimpse of Jesus' itinerary. It's important that we understand it. In the daytime, Jesus was preaching and teaching out in the open in the temple area where anyone who could get close enough to hear could come and hear him. He was not in hiding. He was publicly presented. and He was teaching those things that were astounding all that would hear. But at nighttime, it says that he would go and stay among the masses on the Mount of Olives. It seems as though Jesus was content to be front and center during the daytime. But at nighttime, it was needful for him to be secluded. Maybe even hidden from those that might want to do him harm under cover of night. Luke tells us that the season, as we've already mentioned, is Passover. 
the festival of unleavened bread. Let, let me give you just a little bit of a, of a history lesson on this particular feast, or should I say these two particular feasts. In Exodus chapter number 12, verses 1 through 20, as the, the children of Israel captive in Egypt are experiencing or at least observing the Egyptians experience the plagues of God. Those things that God was bringing on this oppressing nation with the, with the words that stated, let my people go, but as a result of, of Pharaoh's hardened heart, God was sending these pestilences on the land. Nine had occurred, but now the tenth was coming. And God spoke through his servant Moses to tell his people that the tenth one they would not be able to avoid unless they followed his instructions perfectly. God's instructions was this. On the 14th day of this month, which by the way is going to be your new New Year's month. This month will forevermore be your New Year month. It would be very similar to if all of a sudden our authorities decided that from now on June would be the New Year month. And, and that would be strange, but it was important that the children of Israel understand how significant this event was going to be in their entire history. And in fact, in the entire redemptive story. God says on the 14th day, you're going to sacrifice a lamb and you're going to pour the blood into a basin and you're going to gather a, a, a hyssop brush and you're going to paint with that brush the blood of that lamb all over the doorframe of your house. You're going to roast the lamb. You're not going to boil it. You're not going to smoke it. You're going to roast it. And you're going to bring it inside with your entire family. You're going to close the door. You're going to eat the lamb. You're going to eat the, the unleavened bread that's, that you'll have at your, at your feast, at your, your meal. And you're going to be ready to go because as soon as the death angel comes in, He's going to destroy the firstborn of every home that does not have the blood applied. Moses told them on a couple of occasions the instructions. If you're going to avoid this pestilence, if you're going to avoid this sorrow, you have got to obey the commands of God. Can I just give you a freebie? This won't cost you nothing. That's the gospel. The gospel is God has made a way for you and I to avoid the death that is ours because of sin. We've been given a way that we can be brought to life from death. And it's all the same picture. It's the blood of the one sacrificed in my place for my sin. The difference is... That one had to be done over and over again. The one we celebrate was one and done. One time, resurrected, never sacrificed, needed again. So the Passover was a yearly celebration of remembrance of the, of the Passover event that happened in Egypt. And they did it every year. 
They celebrated every year. Now, they didn't paint their door frames with blood every year. But they did take a lamb, and they did sacrifice that lamb as a family. They did roast the animal. They did eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And they told the story to their children about how God delivered the people, their people, out of Egypt. And that God was going to ultimately deliver them unbeknownst to those celebrating at that Passover feast that the ultimate lamb was in their presence and so this is the feast time but Luke also says that it's the feast of unleavened bread well that's because that in Leviticus chapter 23 if you read on you're going to discover that following the Passover celebration they were to then celebrate a seven-day feast where they would again only eat unleavened bread or, or bread without yeast in it. So it was not as good as the Texas Roadhouse yeast rolls that you'll fill up on every time you go. Take the yeast out. What have you got? Nasty bread. But that's what they had to eat for the whole seven days. Well, because they were back-to-back... It would be very common to refer to both Passover, the one-day event on the 14th day, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the 15th through the 21st. It would be very common to refer to both of them as either, hey, we're going to celebrate Passover, or we're going to celebrate Unleavened Bread. So that's what Luke is doing. And remember, he's talking primarily to a Gentile audience. And so he tells them that it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which, by the way, Theophilus, you remember that's who Luke wrote to. If you go all the way back to a year and almost two ago, you will remember that that's who Luke's talking to. But we don't care how long we've been studying Luke, do we, class? No, we don't. Why? Because it's just as good as everything else. I digress. So Luke says, the feast of Passover, unleavened bread, is happening. This is what's going on. Israel's political and religious leaders are now committed to Jesus' death. But here's the problem. They don't have the authority to put him to death. Because they are under the rule of the Romans, the Romans have allowed them to, to... Uh, execute their laws according to their religious beliefs within a certain parameter group. And the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrins made sure that the people stayed within the parentheses. But the one thing they could not do was put anyone to death. They stripped them of that. That whole idea of stoning, they would have to do that, but they could get in big trouble for it because they didn't have the authority to put people to death. Only the Romans could do that. But here's the good news. At Passover, because the city was so overpacked with pilgrims coming to this very important feast, the Roman procurator himself, who goes by the name of Pilate, was in town with a, a larger group of soldiers, a larger regiment of security, because so many people were in the city. So the good news is, is that we could get permission to put this man to death because Pilate is in town. We can get this done, but we've got a bigger problem than we even imagined. Jesus' popularity is growing. 
If we try to take him during the daytime, if we try to take him in front of all the crowds, we're going to create a riot. Because so many people are believing that this Jesus is the Messiah. If we try to take him openly and publicly, people are going to lose their minds. And then it's going to be a big fight, and it's going to be nuts, and the Romans are going to come in, and they're going to start mowing people down. And in fact, we might be blamed for letting this thing get out of hand, and we'll lose our, our popularity with them, and we'll lose our power to rule. So we got a big problem. We can't just walk up and arrest Jesus and make up some charges and take him to Pilate and have him put to death, because it's going to be a madhouse if we try to do that. But if we don't do this now, as Jesus is preaching and teaching and, and word about how he rode into town and, and, and his popularity, when all these people go back home and start telling everybody in their towns what they've seen and heard, we're not going to be able to stop the Jesus movement. Can we just put it on pause for just a second? They made their plans come to to work, and you realize what they did? They sent everybody home, not with a Messiah story. They sent everybody home with a resurrection story. So, good job, Sanhedrin. Time in. We got to get rid of him now. But we can't take him now in the daytime. But we got to take him before this season. The folks have got to see him executed by Roman order in order for them to go home and dismiss this whole notion that he's Messiah. Well, then the prevailing wisdom says, how are we going to take him? We got to take him at night. We got to take him when everyone's bedded down. When everyone is occupied and gone home for the evening, that's when we've got to take him. And then during the night, we can do what we need to do to have all our paperwork in order so that at first light, we can be the first ones in line in front of Pilate and we can get this show on the road and then Jesus will become an afterthought. Here's the problem. At nighttime, Jesus is hanging out with all kinds of different folks on the Mount of Olives. How in the world are you going to find him? Anybody ever been to a NASCAR race? Anybody ever been to a NASCAR race? Yeah. So, you know, if you've been to a NASCAR race, you've got to leave the NASCAR race. If you thought getting into a venue was bad, try to get anywhere from a NASCAR race because every track's out in the middle of a pasture and there's only one gate to get out. And so 400,000 people have got to get out. And it would be like saying, oh man, I dropped my watch. Where'd you drop it? Well, between here and the track. Yeah, that watch is gone. There's no way we're going to be able to find this. Why? Because there's just so many. So try to find Jesus on the Mount of Olives and where he's bunked up and how they're split up and who he's talking to because everybody looks the same and it's dark and it's an impossible task. So we're going to have to figure something out. We got to get rid of him. It's interesting that both the Sadducees and the Pharisees, who didn't really like one another a whole lot, to be quite honest, were united on their disdain for Jesus. 
You see, the Sadducees and those in the political realm of power, they disliked Jesus for economic and political reasons. They wanted to stay in power. They wanted to keep the money train coming their way. But Jesus was creating difficulty that could cause them to get removed and replaced. So they wanted Jesus out of the way for political, financial reasons. The Pharisees, on the other hand, while they didn't care anything about politics or or economics primarily, they were upset with Jesus because Jesus continued to point to their theology and show everybody how wrong they were, teaching how incorrect their interpretations of Scripture were, teaching others how foolish their traditions were, and often showing everyone by their own actions just how hypocritical they were. So they were wanting to get rid of Jesus for for purely religious and and theological reasons. But but they could come together on that, y'all want him gone? Yeah, y'all want him gone? Yeah, let's get him out of here. But we're really going to need some help. Well, that worked out great for them because, verse number 3, we see the plans of one to betray him. Probably in the Passion Week around Tuesday or Wednesday, we're introduced again for the first time since chapter 6 to this individual by the name of Judas. Luke, make sure you understand which Judas it was. It's Judas called Iscariot. If you don't remember back in chapter number 6, he's the last one that I mentioned in the list of Jesus' 12 closest disciples, and he's the one that I went ahead and told you so many chapters ago that he's going to be a traitor. He's got nothing to say about Judas between then and now. But now Judas is ready to show you his true colors. Judas is ready to prove that what Luke knows is actually the case. Judas Iscariot is also mentioned in John chapter number 12 as a miser and a thief. Now, you know what a miser is, is if you've grown up with the Christmas carol, you know that, uh, that Scrooge, if you're in my house, his name was Scrooge MacDuck, but at any rate, that's just the era I grew up in. Scrooge was the one who counted his pennies and was unwilling to let go of any of them, even to the benefit of his hurting employees. He was a miser. He didn't feel like things were worth spending money on. I'd rather go without. I'd rather be cold than pay for extra heat. I'd rather be hot than turn the AC on. Some of y'all live with people like that. But I'm just saying A miser didn't think things were worth it. But John goes on and says, but it's worse than that. Judas didn't want us spending money on anything, and he was the one that held the money bag. And whenever Judas saw something he did think was worth spending money, he didn't mind putting his hand over into the ministry bag to buy what he wanted. So Judas was a traitor, according to Luke, He was a miser and a thief. And here we're going to learn that he is a backstabber. This word Iscariot, it's not his last name. It's an Aramaic word that means of or from Kirioth. So his name is Judas of Kirioth. 
well, why does it need to be uh, established as such? Because all of the other 11 apostles were from the northernmost regions of Israel. Many from Galilee, others from in between Galilee and Judea. It seems that this particular disciple, Judas, was the only one from the south. And that bothers me. Different country, so we'll move on. Judas was of Kirioth near Hebron. It set him apart from the other Jude or Judas in the disciple ranks. Probably Judas had every expectation that Jesus was Messiah. There's no reason for us to think that Judas was not a believer that Jesus was Messiah. He saw his miracles. He heard the 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 illusions toward those Old Testament texts in his preaching. What he saw and heard caused him to think, that's him. The problem was, is that Jesus' path was not what Judas expected. Like everyone else who was hearing. Yet it seems that Judas's heart was becoming more hardened with every step that Jesus took toward the cross instead of toward a throne of his expecting. And Judas's mind and feelings seemed to be backpedaling away from him. We, we don't know what Judas's personal motivation was, but it certainly could have been frustration. Frustration that Jesus' words were not matching up to what he expected the warrior Messiah to be. But there's another thing that might be plaguing Judas, and that is personal fear. If you'll recall in your, in your remembrance of, of Jesus' journey toward Jerusalem, you remember how that he came into contact with a family that uh, had lost their brother, who they had buried and was four days in the grave? You remember how that, that Jesus said, let's go down and see my friends there in Bethany and to do a work there on Lazarus' behalf? And the guys didn't want to go. Why? Because Jesus was getting a bad reputation with the leaders and they were afraid that they might get down there, get arrested, and him be put to death and them along with him. Jesus seemed unfearful of going. And you'll recall that Thomas, one of the disciples, said, Well, I tell you what, boys, Jesus is going to go down there and die. Let's just go on down there and die with him. And they just went down. And you know what the story ends. He raised Lazarus. That really upset everybody. And from then on, it was a staring contest, a cold war, if you will. But everybody knew what was in the hearts of the leaders. So it could have been that Judas was thinking, he's not going to change his message. I was hoping we were going to make a turn, and all of a sudden he was going to rally the troops, and we were all going to stand up against Rome and, and everything that God had promised in the prophets, and, and, and it was going to come to pass, and we were going to see this thing change. But it seems like the closer we get to Jerusalem, the more he talks about dying. And I just know how the Romans operate. They grab you and everybody around you. So it could be that Judas was just motivated by personal fear. There's just too much evidence. I'm just too close to him. Whatever the reason, it says that Judas went away and conferred, verse 4, 
with the chief priests and officers about how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad. Of course they were. They didn't have an angle. They didn't know where he was at. They didn't know where he was going to be until now. As we're watching this, we get angry in our heart. And we should. Because Jesus is being betrayed by one of those closest to him. One of those who had walked him with him and heard him and watched him. And is about to do a diabolical thing by betraying the Son of God, God the Son. But at the same time, we need to put our lens on of the redemptive story and realize that as these were planning sinful, wicked, evil deeds, all the while, God's sovereign plan of redemption was unfolding. Those things that would bring about our ultimate redemption are taking place according to his understanding. But from our point of view, Judas is making plans to murder. Here's what I'll do, fellas. I, I, I don't know where we're going to be eating tonight. I, I, don't, I don't know where we're going to be staying. He never tells us. I know where we're going to be in the daytime. We're right there in the temple. Y'all see him. He's there first thing. Crowds start forming. As far as where we're sleeping, I have no idea. If, if I can find out, if I can, if I can get an understanding of whose tent we're going to be around, I'll come let you know. If I can find out anything about where we're going to be having our supper meal, I'll let you know. If we're going to be out in and around some of the places that Jesus typically goes to pray, I'll let you know. And they were glad to give him a bag full of money which Zechariah the prophet alluded to in chapter number uh, 11, verse number 12, and, and is described in Matthew 26. We know how many pieces of silver? 30. We're willing to hand it to him. Thank you so much, Judas. You're doing a great thing in service of Yahweh. You're doing a wonderful ministry all the while, they were doing the worst thing imaginable. Plans to murder, plans to betray, but all at the same time, Jesus was making plans to minister. Knowing full well from eternity past how these events were going to unfold. Knowing when Judas says, hey, I need to go see a friend who's also in town. Hey, I'll be back. I've got to go run some errands. Hey, don't wait on me. I've got some things I need to do. Knowing full well, I believe, what Judas was planning. Jesus set his focus on the ministry opportunity at hand. What was it? Verse number 7. It tells us about the things that will happen on Thursday. And then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Now, Luke, uh, let, me, let me just give you a, 
there's a problem that you're going to run into when you start reading the Gospel of John, and it's going to bother you, and you're not going to understand it. So I'm going to give you a possibility of how we might understand it. See, Luke tells us today it's Thursday. We're going to follow the events, and we're going to see how Thursday ends up being Friday and the events of Friday, and, and we're going to see how it works. Luke tells us that the animals had to be sacrificed. The lambs had to be sacrificed on Thursday. But then you're going to start reading, because I know you are reading your Bible. You're going to get to John's gospel. And when you're reading John's gospel, you're going to find out that while things are happening on Friday, John's going to say that the chief priests were unwilling to go to a particular location on Friday because they still needed to eat the Passover. Like, wait a minute, I thought the Passover was happening on Thursday. You say it now on Friday. Somebody get their dates wrong? No. There is good reason, there is fairly solid evidence that the, the Jews in the north marked their days sunrise to sunset, uh, sunrise to sunrise. So Thursday would begin on sunrise today, and it would stay Thursday until sunrise on Friday. But those in the south, those of the more traditional followers, would have watched the sunset to sunset. So Thursday would happen, or Friday would begin at sunset on, on, on Thursday evening and would stay Friday until sunset of Friday. So there's some interchanging on what days of the week or or some flip-flop on whether it's now the 14th day or we got to wait a few hours and now it's the 14th day. But if you think about it, if that is the case, it would work out in the favor of those celebrating the Passover. So just imagine 2.7 million people and we'll just divide that by 8 or 10. So it won't be 2.7 million lambs, but it could be somewhere in the neighborhood of 250,000 lambs being sacrificed in Jerusalem. Wouldn't it help if you had half of them doing it today and the other half tomorrow? Wouldn't that make matters a whole lot more helpful to those doing the ceremony and those eating and providing bread. It would. You say, are you certain about that? No, but, but I'm, I'm confident. I'm absolutely certain that God's Word doesn't lie, so there's got to be a reason that sounds like a good one to me. Thursday, some of the lambs were being sacrificed. If that evidence is correct, some of them, the ones Jesus and His disciples were going to eat, we're going to be sacrificed on Thursday. The other half of the lambs, following the southern tradition, were going to be sacrificed on Friday, which is interesting enough, would be at the exact same roundabout time as the ultimate lamb. But I'm getting ahead of my story. On the day that the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go prepare the place that we're going to celebrate the Passover. Okay, Jesus, we'll go prepare it, but here's the problem. You've not told us where it's at. Can we get an address? And I'm imagining Judas going, I'd like to know that. 
Where, where are we going to be? Where, where are we going to be located? Jesus says, oh, what you're going to do is you're going to go and you're going to get our lamb and, and, and you're going to go into the city. And when you go into the city, you're going to be at the gate and you're going to meet a guy carrying a water pot. Okay. Okay. You say, what's significant about that? Well, what I learned yesterday, and, and, and it reminded me of something that I had heard before, is that primarily women carried the water. That was their major role in the, in the household. They would be the one responsible for getting the water. Woman at the well, didn't want to go to the well because all the other women, da-da-da. This would be a guy carrying a water pot. And I don't know whether Jesus made arrangements with this guy to be doing the water gathering for the day. I, I don't know if Jesus just knew this guy was going to show up. But at any rate, Jesus says, I don't want to tell you where, but you're going to meet a guy with a water pot. Follow him. And when he comes to the place where he goes into the house, you go in after him. Sounds like home invasion to me. You know, like stalking and home, but it's not. Jesus says, go in the house with him and say to him, the Lord needs the place that you have for him. And he'll show you upstairs. It's all ready. And all you've got to do is to go get the, the bread. No leaven, right? No leaven bread, the bitter herbs. You'll want to get the apples and the dates and the other thing. Make sure you get to, you know, the things that we'll need for our supper. Okay, Lord. And the rest of us will go, Judas, don't know where he's going to be. Now, I don't know whether Jesus made arrangements with him before or just knew. But the bottom line is, is that Jesus provided the place. All they had to do was fill in what little blanks Jesus left. All right, time out. I'm getting out of the story there. I'm coming over here just to talk to you. Jesus calls you and me as, as his followers, as, as his disciples for today. Jesus doesn't say, go into all the world and figure it out. Figure it out how you're going to follow me and, and put to practice those things that I've taught you. He's not done that. Jesus has given us the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has given us instructions. Jesus has given us a guide and how we are to live in every arena of our life. It ain't, it, it's not hard. It's difficult because we make it difficult. We want to do our own thing. We, we want to pursue our own desires. We, we want to make our own way. Jesus says, if you'll just keep following the way I'm going, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit and you'll follow my words, you'll find yourself right where you're supposed to be. And all you'll have to do is those little nitpicky things. That, and I want you to be involved and I want you to participate, but I've already done all the planning. I've already done all the orchestrating. All you have to do is just be ready when, when, when you're where I put you to put to practice what I've told you and do what you know to do. That's it. And that's not nearly as hard on the mind and stressful on the heart as us trying to figure out how I just can't follow. I don't understand how to follow Jesus. Yeah, you do. Just go the way he's going, saying the things he's saying, doing the things he's doing, loving the way he's loving. Listening to the spirit that he's given you if you're his follower and, and looking at the words he's shown. And you know what we'll find? 
We're right where we're supposed to be doing just what we're supposed to be doing. And it ain't all that complicated. Okay, now we're back in the story. Peter, John, you go handle it, and then we'll come. And that's exactly what they found. Next week, we're going to talk about the things that happened in the upper room. Now, Luke doesn't give us nearly the the richness of those events that John does. Boy, John tells us all kinds of awesome things that happened in that upper room. Luke just kind of gives us the high points and then moves us out to the next phase. And that's what we'll look at next week. But here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that Jesus, while all these mega nasty plans were going on about him and for him that were going to lead him to the place of tremendous suffering, Jesus was planning to continue instructing his disciples. While all these things are going around, Jesus wasn't fretting, Jesus wasn't hiding, Jesus wasn't looking for a way out. He looked at the ones that he had with him and the opportunities that were in front of them. And Jesus was making plans to continue ministering to those that he was going to hand the baton to. This will be a good word for those of you who have been following Jesus and, and you're seeing your life like come closer to the age that you think, I ain't got much time left. That is not the time to sit down. That is not the time to let the young folks handle it now. Because guess what? The young folks ain't got a clue what we're doing. That's when we need y'all to step up and continue to be loud. Not about your opinions. That just don't get us nowhere. But about the things God has taught you, the things God has done for you, the way God has led you, the way you've been encouraged and cared for and provided for by His good grace. We need to be hearing that. As your time gets closer, that's what you need to be. You need to be in this ear, and guess what? Expecting it to roll out the other ear, so come around and push on it on this side so that it stays in. We need you. Jesus knew His time was coming. But he counted all the opportunities. Oh, I'm going to use that. Yeah, I'm going to use all these. He gathers his disciples together and begins to prepare them for his imminent suffering and their future post-resurrection Jesus ministry. He took the time to minister graciously even to the one who in just a little while was going to stab him in the back. Do you realize that Jesus handed the Passover elements to Judas? Do you realize that Jesus took the the, the towel and the water and washed the feet of Judas? In crazy fashion, it seems that Jesus even handed the cup of remembrance broke the bread of his body and ministered lovingly and graciously to the one who was going to be responsible for putting these things in motion. And lest we allow ourselves to find a different seat at the table, 
can we all just be honest and look at our guilt through the eyes of the one who betrayed? Because we're just as guilty as he. We're just as broken as he. Luke does say that Satan entered into him and fueled those thoughts and those intentions. But we're just as broken. Yet Jesus was planning to minister with love and grace. And that's exactly what he did. We're going to stop right there. Next week we're going to look into the upper room. But by means of application. Three thoughts that I have for you. And we'll be done. I should have asked you this before. I can't believe I forgot. Are you a follower of Jesus today? If you're not, well, I'm glad you're here. Because you can be. Today would be a great day for you to begin to follow him by faith. Just accepting him as who he said he was and and accepting what the scripture said happened to him and then ultimately happened by him as he gave his life and was raised victorious over death, hell, sin, the grave, and made possible salvation that is available to all who will by faith believe in him and him alone. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I would offer you these three things. Number one, the world is still fueled by hatred for our Lord. The world hates Jesus. And it's still fueled by hatred. And Satan's the one holding the pump. And that hatred against Christ will reflect off of him and onto you if you're his follower. If you're a follower of Jesus, the enemy hates you just as much as he hated him. And the world is planning, looking for opportunities to at least shut you up. Maybe murder. It may come to that. It certainly come to that in places around the world. But at least in this culture, they want you to hush. So we need, if we are followers of Jesus, we need to plan to remain faithful. That's something we need to do beforehand. So that we're not standing there wondering, what are we going to do? No, we know what we're going to do. We're going to remain faithful to Christ, even as the world and the enemy and everything at his disposal comes against us. We're not going to we're not going to punch him in the mouth, as some preachers say. We're not going to throw water on him. No, we're, not. we're just going to stand faithful. We're going to stand, and we're going to plan on it ahead of time. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to face that silence machine this week. You've got to plan to stand. If you follow Jesus, then you might as well right now expect betrayal. You need to expect it. You're going to get betrayed. You're going to get stabbed. And you could even be betrayed by someone really, really close to you. You serve in this church. You're going to rub shoulders with broken folks. I know that because I am one of those. And somewhere along the way, somebody's going to betray you. 
a trust, a feeling. It's just going to happen. But you know what we can do? We can go ahead beforehand and make plans to consider that a worthy sacrifice and decide now that we're going to love them anyway. So that just ain't fair. Sure it is, because at some point in time, whether you mean to or not, you're probably going to betray someone else's feelings or trust. And you know what you're going to want them to do? Love you anyway. I say we just go ahead and plan on it. What did Jesus plan to do? Wash his feet. Serve him supper. Tell him one more time about his body broken, his blood shed, with genuine love, even for the one who betrayed him. So if you're a follower of Jesus, count on it. It's coming. But you can plan to consider that an okay sacrifice. And I'm going to choose to love you. And then the last one. You know, there's a difference as we follow Jesus. There's the difference between bold obedience and unnecessary risk. Jesus went out in the public during the daytime, and what did he do? Boldly preached the message of the kingdom. He's where he was. In fact, he's ultimately going to tell them when they arrest him. Y'all knew where I was all the time. You could have come and got me anytime. I was out there being bold. There's a big difference between being bold in obedience and being unnecessarily risky. When it came nighttime, what did Jesus do? He bed down. When it came to where they were going to eat their supper, what did he do? Kept it close to the vest because there's no sense in being unnecessarily risky. So here's what we can do as followers of Jesus. We can plan not to be stupid. We can go ahead and plan on it. You know, I can be bold about my walk with Jesus. I ain't got to be ugly about it on Facebook, make everybody mad. Now, I can be bold in my obedience. I got not, don't have to make everybody else feel bad or like they compare themselves to me. So let's just plan to follow Jesus faithfully and leave all that stupid stuff behind us. Sound like a plan? Well, good. Let's stand together. All kinds of plans going on today. I hope it's your plan to follow Christ obediently and faithfully this week. I hope you're already planning to do it. No matter the circumstances you're in, if they're good, hold on, that's going to change. If they're bad, well, that's going to change too. Might get worse, but could get better. But Jesus remains the same. Amen? Well, let's just follow him. Let's be faithful. Let's encourage one another. And let's be back together next week as we continue to follow Christ through the eyes of Luke. If you don't know Jesus, today be a great day to come to know him by faith. I'm going to have some folks that will be over here off to my right, I believe. Be ready to pray with you when we get done. If you need have a need, you'd like somebody to pray with you, just kind of meander over there and they'd be happy to do so. Father, we thank you so much for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the plans that have been intact from eternity past. You knowing how that 
your creation would ultimately turn their back toward you. Yet in your grace, in your love, you always plan to redeem. And for that, we're thankful. We thank you for Jesus who came willingly, who suffered incredibly, but never deviated from his path of obedience. God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that resides within your children. We thank you that he leads us, that he convicts us, that he'll enlighten your word to us, and we pray that we will submit to those ministries of him this week. Allow him to lead us to where we need to be so that we can accomplish what you've designed for us to do. God, we look forward to all that you have in store. We thank you for a day that when we leave from here, we can celebrate our good fathers. I thank you for a good father. I thank you for all of the good fathers that are working hard right now. God, I thank you that even for those who had a bad earthly father, you are, are pulling them close and reminding them that, uh, that all they need is, is found in you. And I pray that they will uh, experience that in a powerful way today. God, we look forward to the opportunities you've laid out already for us to serve you. Give us the courage to be faithful. Help us to plan on it ahead of time. We love you and we trust you. For in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.